Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are continuing our 80s ladies theme with Mystic Pizza. Three teenage girls come of age while working at a pizza parlor in the Connecticut town of Mystic. Ooh, it's mystical pizza. It's mystical pizza. Not exactly. Uh, it's it's mystery pizza. And we have a guest. We do have a guest. We can't have mystery pizza without a mystery guest. David, who is our mystery guest? Our mystery guest is the writer and co-creator of the Sage and Savant podcast. It is Eddie Louise. Eddie, welcome to this show. So happy to be here with you guys. I know you chose me because of the big hair thing, because mm-hmm. the 80s are very much, you know, big hair territory. <laughs> um, I have occasional big hair. I just chopped some of it off. <laughs> I had my first post-pandemic haircut, so I, my hair's not quite as big, but I can do the big 80s hair. There are <laughs> pictures to prove it for sure. I am desperate for that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely big hair. <laughs> so what is your experience with this movie? Because we've never seen it. Okay, so I'm officially an old, and I watched it in its first iteration in the theater. And all of that big hair fashion was like, me. Awesome. (laughs) That's what I wore. That's Mm -hmm. what I did. So I have very fond memories of it. Mm Mm-hmm. But that is always a scary thing because sometimes those things we have really fond memories for when we watch them like 25 years later, it's like, oh, that's really problematic. Um, you know. Fair. Totally fair. <laughs> I, I think we might have to talk about that for this movie. <laughs> well, problematic things. There are, there are a few problematic things uh, <laughs> in this movie, but... That being the case, they actually deal with it better than a lot of 80s movies. Yes. You know? True. True. So, you know, you 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 can be um, Judd Witz's-face standing with his boombox below the window um, in, what does that say anything? And you're a total creep. And they never, like, you're just a creep. And you're a creep through the whole movie. And after the movie, you're a creep. And he's supposed to be the romantic lead. Mm-hmm. And at least in Mystic Pizza, they kind of deal with those layers of creepdom. And definitely it's the good guys are worth having and the bad guys are creeps. And they're pretty clear about that, which was very unusual for a movie of its time. And I think that's because it was focused on the story of the women. I do agree with that. We tend to be somewhat Lloyd Dobler apologists. There it is, Lloyd Dobler, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing. Lloyd Dobler gets a bad rap because when you actually watch it again, we have some friends who have said it was like what people took the image from Lloyd Dobler and did has a lot more to do with the creep factor than who Lloyd Dobler actually is as a character. And Lloyd Dobler in that moment isn't really being a creepy stalker. And the reason they get away with that, though, is because the movie doesn't make it overt. They don't ever give Lloyd the chance to speak his own thoughts before or bring it through or do anything so much of that is implied and then people can you know sure twist it however they want which is one of the things that i liked about mystic pizza is that they're pretty upfront with all three of those girls and their love life about the choices that are being made and the things that are good and bad about it and um you know they say shit outright so i love that i I really did love that. And yeah, they are very overt about what they think about each other, where they think they're being absurd. They they are very much, uh, they do like to slut shame Daisy. 
but they also love her. Yeah. Slut shaming is not okay, but it's also coming from a place of, we want you to be okay. 10 years from now, she's going to be a very famous astrologer. And who are you going to be, Daisy? Astronomer. Oh, <laughs> how the hell do I know where I'll be 10 years from now? I could be dead for all I know. Daisy, that, that's bad luck. Look, Joe, you've got Bill. Right. You've apparently got brains. <laughs> all I've got is this and these. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so to hell with both of you. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't think so. Yeah, and I think that one of the things, you know, that was a, a big thing in this movie that really struck me at the time was that it dealt genuinely with female desire. Yes. So Daisy gets slut-shamed not because she desires sex so much, mm-hmm. but because she's always grasping. Mm-hmm. Daisy wants more, but she doesn't know what more she wants. And exactly. so she's always grasping and she makes bad choices because of it. Yes. So a lot of the slut shaming is actually aimed at the using sex to try and get something else that you want rather than just getting what you want. And they, they do that difference between her and Kat because Kat is going to college mm-hmm. and Kat is, and that creates the tension in their uh, home, of course, between the sisters. Oh, I love and, that. I loved it. <laughs> and yeah, but on the other hand, they talk very blatantly about female desire mm-hmm. that, wow, women like sex. And then when Bill like renames his boat nymphomaniac as, as kind of a, a diss on his girlfriend everyone rallies around her and he is like that's it dude you know no way women are allowed to want sex <gasps> yay that makes mystic pizza <laughs> really wonderful in the 80s over yes because of it and and we still how many how often do we have a female character that that is allowed to to have sexual desire in in modern films it's coming around a lot more on television. Yes. Television yes. is making a big, big push for the ladies. Not so much on the film, but since, you know, film kind yeah. of sucks right now and it's all about TV, <laughs> ladies are really getting it on TV. Very enjoy- <laughs> it's fabulous. It is, yeah. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, I think that gets us right into our writing because we've talked so much about the story that's me typically kind of jumping in right (laughs) well it's fabulous we love it we have several people listed as writers here we have amy holden jones who's responsible for the story and the screenplay before this she wrote the slumber party massacre love letters and made to order after this she wrote beethoven indecent proposal the getaway the Relic, and TV shows Black Box and The Resident. Yeah. We also have Perry and Randy Howes, who also wrote Made to Order and Chances Are, as well as Alfred Uri, um, who's a well-regarded playwright who wrote Driving Miss Daisy and The Last Night of Ballyhoo. So it seems like we've got some extra people in there. I think that they brought in fixers Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they knew that they had something that was different than anything else that was going on at the time. And because it was so strongly centering the women, um, I think they wanted to be sure that they got it right, that the dialogue was, you know, accurate to its time, but then also effective as, as what they did. And so, yeah, I think that, that they put extra eyes on it to make sure. And it's partly why the movie stands up. Oh, sure. I think it stands up. I will also say that there's a little bit of 
meh to the story of this movie. And and maybe it's the presentation. It might be the directing more than the writing and the story itself. But there's a level at which, at a certain point, it, we're we're almost saying the same thing over and over again, and we're we're the, the plot points specifically get a little samey at a certain point in this movie. Like you sit there and you're going, okay, yeah, well, mm-hmm. are we gonna do more? Yeah, I think actually though that might be a fault of bringing in the playwright, because as a play, those um center three women and then the prefer women around them would have led to some powerhouse scenes Mm -hmm. and in a live theater you can have an actress um have a breakdown have a crying fit like the the one that cat has Mm -hmm. after the wife comes home and you can have that and you can have an in two or three minutes of silence while that moment holds because everybody is feeling that energy Mm -hmm. unfortunately you can't communicate that same thing through the screen correct you know what this feels like a play adaptation in in many ways it does which it wasn't yeah but it has that vibe yeah well and i think that that might have something to do with the fact that 80s theater at the Mm -hmm. time was very very like strongly dominated by these amazing women actresses Mm -hmm. so this is where patty lapone and meryl streep and and you know all these amazing actresses were doing broadway and off-broadway plays yeah. And this movie was hoping to kind of catalyze and jump on some of that energy that was happening. So I definitely think that was it. But the director didn't necessarily have a clear vision of, okay, well, in a, a, a play, in a theater, you can have the actress cry and then have silence after and everybody will do it. But in a movie, you can't do that. So let's just have her sob hysterically mm-hmm. overly loud. And there's an old director saw, which is that uh, the, the actress must never sob the full depth of the feeling, because if she does, then the audience cannot cry because she's taken it off. And so that the actress must cry to a certain level and then the emotion must be built to let the rest of the audience cry the rest of that energy. And I think they missed that in the directing. I think... Where they missed the mark with the writing is they left the pizza place too much. Yeah. Because that's their home. Because the story is about these three girls, their relationship and them growing up and then ultimately their relationship with the owner. Because as she says towards the end, you're my children. It's the three of you. That's it, which is precious. She's at the wedding. She's she's almost a, like, she's not quite a bridesmaid, but she is yeah. a bridesmaid. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys, have you guys ever worked food service? I mean, most food service jobs, then becomes, you get, you get food and oftentimes everyone will sit down to eat that food yes. together. Yes. And a scene like that where she's prepared them a meal before shift begins or after shift is mm-hmm. over, it doesn't really matter. And they're all sitting together as a family and eating together would have been brilliant. Now I want to write fan fiction. <laughs> exactly. But we didn't get those, that type of scene. We didn't get the scene after the local sports team won and the place is packed. We didn't, we didn't get those scenes like with the different levels of business. We just know that they're very popular. And yeah. then we had the food critic and it's like, this is their job. This is how some of them pay the bills. This is how they're paying for college. They spend every minute not when they're not at school, essentially, or with their their boyfriend here. And we spend a lot of time not here. Yeah. 
And that's, that was the mistake. Like, I know, like, we're going to tell the, we got, we're telling the boyfriend story. So we got to leave to go deal with the boyfriend stuff. That's fine. But every other scene should really be at this Pete in and around this pizza place. You know, what movie did this and did have that balance of being at the place. Empire Records. Empire Records. Yeah. Empire Records had the balance right of being at the actual damn the store. Place. Yeah. The place that the place was about with the family dynamic. All of those super fair. emotional scenes. Like the reason that Lily Taylor's scene plays so well when she's losing it is because they're in the pizza parlor. Yeah. Hey, it's okay. I mean, it had to happen. I'm fine. In fact, I don't know. I feel kind of good. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, Bill and I are so different. Everything he wants, I don't. The marriage, the kids, all that stuff. I mean, I really want that stuff. Real bad. I, I just don't want it now. He doesn't understand. If he really loved me, he'd wait. But I guess if I really loved him, I'd marry him. <laughs> Maybe I don't love Bill. It's good. And then it's also funny, you know, when her and... I can't, I can't remember any of the boyfriend's name, but Vincent Nafio are hooking up. They're mm-hmm. in the bathroom at the yes. pizza place. It's so funny. We should have been in the pizza place more. This more is what Bill. we do on this show. We fix movies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Every time. Fixers. One of the things I think they did really well, though, was in the way they structured their class relationships and therefore yeah. the character names. So the fisherman is Bill. You know, he's just Bill, you know, and that's kind of one of those great utilitarian, you know, lumberjack sized mm-hmm. white guy names. Yep. And it, it, it fit. It was perfect. And it worked. And I think that they helped um, with with that. It really did help set the, the town of the idea of the townies versus mm-hmm. the incomers, the, the yep. holiday people, the rich people. Yeah. And um, they set that off all very, very well. Yeah. No, but the writing is good. It just needs some tweaking. We need some location changes. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that would change the tone of a lot of that. And then we wouldn't feel so. It wouldn't feel like it wandered as much as it did. Yeah. There were a couple of moments that, that the writing really, really shone. And it was more in the screenwriting than the dialogue. Mm-hmm. But the scene where she dumps the fish into Charlie's car. Yeah, I was just about to say that one. (laughs) That scene is executed perfectly because she slams into that truck and you swear she's going to slam into the Porsche, Mm -hmm. right? And then she stops just that tiny bit shy. And she gets out and you're thinking, what, is she going to now go over and key it? Why did she get in the truck? You don't really know. And then the moment she jumps up into the bed of the truck, you remember the barrels of fish and it, all comes clanging home and you feel her joy. You feel her like, this is revenge. This is great. And you're filling the car and you're feeling that great joy. And then this is my sister. (laughs) And because you are feeling the retribution and you're feeling that joy at, ha, get back at the asshole. Then when he says, this is my sister, you share in that feeling of, oh, oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, this was horrible. No, then I'm just like, how much like you cannot afford to fix that car because that smells never fucking coming out. Oh, no. <laughs> which is why she did it. Yeah. Which I love. I love. I love that about Daisy. She's just like, damn you. I do think that those were also 
very well executed by their art director. Um, I I think uh, we could have had some tightening up, but it was done very lovingly. I think it is is a fair thing to say about Donald Petrie, who this is his feature film debut as a director. Okay, yeah. He just did some TV before. Um, But after this, he did Opportunity Knocks, Grumpy Old Men, Richie Rich, Miss Congeniality. Which is one of my faves. Fabulous. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which is also pretty dang good. That's one of my husband's faves. And then Welcome to Mooseport uh, are their big claims to fame. Interesting. Yeah. So, hey, you give Julia Roberts her start, you get a start too. You know, I guess that's how it works in Hollywood, right? (laughs) I mean, that works pretty good. One of the things I loved about uh, Julia's character about Daisy is that um, her hair was so over the top and out of control mm-hmm. and not Hollywooded. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes her clothes were the same that um, she was, you know, going to the shops and getting these fancy dresses that she'd wear for one day mm-hmm. and then give back. Return right. Back. But none of them were quite nice on her. You know, they didn't quite fit her. Yeah, they just weren't quite. And mm-hmm. so you really felt like she was a townie girl struggling to appear rich. Yeah. And there was always something just a little off. And a lot of times it was her hair that was off when, when she's sitting amongst the, the rich people and all of them have the perfectly straight flowing hair. Oh, and then there's yeah. her, her crazy wild bush of hair. It was wonderful that those dichotomies and things. And again, that's, you know, art direction and costume. Mm-hmm. They, they put a lot of time in thinking about that culture. Mm-hmm. between the townies and the rich people. And I think that was visually very well executed through the film. Oh, yeah. No, that she she's meant to look like she doesn't belong and she doesn't. <laughs> in, in the best way, in the nicest way possible. You know, you, you mentioned the costume thing. They did the same thing with Charlie. His jacket never fits him properly, yes. ever. Um, which is a, is a little bit 80s style, but when you make him, when you stand him next to anybody else of that, um, the cadre of the rich people, yeah. yes, he just looks like I, I put on my dad's clothes. Well, and I think that that's something that the movie understood, both mm-hmm. in the writing and in the direction, and then finally in costumes and art mm-hmm. direction, is they understood that that uh, feeling of being a fish out of water. Sure. And they played it up both from the townie perspective and from the rich perspective. And that yeah. was that was really lovely, especially because that's, you know, a major theme through the center of it is figuring out where you belong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't. Where are you going to be? Yeah. And, you know, I've seen films before that have the, OK, where do you belong? And it's like, well, visually, obviously here, you know, <laughs> you are wearing the same color as that person. So you two are going to match. That's just how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes we're that dumb, but it's helpful. We appreciate it. I I think we nail it in that one with that location issue. But Mm -hmm. two, those scenes in which it's just one-on-one director or one-on-one performances, they're the ones that sometimes feel the most plotting. When we've Mm -hmm. got action going on or when we've got a very well scripted out scene, it does. It works really well. Like it's, It's something that I didn't even think about until we break it down and talk about it. Yeah, it's those one-on-one scenes that don't they they feel like after-school movies compared to the rest of the detail that we've gotten in the rest of it. 
Yeah. It, it's a little treacly at times, and it really comes in those big emotional moments, un- except when we're in the pizza parlor. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I found interesting, um, it almost seems like they wanted to tell the story. It's a woman's story. They wanted to let it dwell on them, but they didn't know how, mm-hmm. how to complete a scene. So the scene where um, I don't remember the dad's name that is um, the dad of the kid that cat's babysitting Tim. and he's putting his sweater over cat. Yeah. That scene needed to end awkwardly because we're basically in cat's POV here and something is happening and it's affecting her physically, you know, but she's not really sure what it is that's happening. So it needed to end awkwardly. But the problem is the way they ended it awkwardly, it felt like the actors didn't know what to do. Like, okay, well, we've done everything that's on the page and we don't know how to get out of this scene. Whereas a really good way to end that would have been using his front porch maybe. And, and you know, th- that being, scene fades and then Kat's on the front porch and she's wrapping herself in the sweater and she's demonstrating that attraction. So you know that she's not, like she actually is attracted to the guy and you get that wholeheartedly. So that story didn't develop as well as it could have because they didn't take those moments and develop them appropriately. And I think they were worried about the creep factor, you know? How far can we take it with this creepy? Especially because in Hollywood, that's a very common story. The man sleeping with the babysitter. That is just like, you know. See, with that one, I feel like they weren't concerned with the creep factor at all. They just didn't know how to how to properly reflect what she was feeling. What was her take on it? I think that's the thing because our uh, narrative of creeps is that creeps are creeps and young girls get taken in by it and they're they're totally innocent flowers Mm -hmm. and the problem is that's not why creeps get away with what they do creeps get away with what they do because young girls have sexual urges man and they don't come off as creeps they come off as compelling and attractive men and creeps know how to tap into that Mm -hmm. and i think they were afraid if they showed her being really really physically attracted to him at that early stage that it would make her, everyone, you know, slut shame her and sure. dismiss her story. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that we still can do that in cinema very well. Um, uh, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> the answer to that is <laughs> is pretty much no. <laughs> well, go watch the show Cruel Summer. It's currently on Hulu. It's more of like a thriller. Co- they touch on like that whole concept of grooming very, very well. That show is excellent. It reminds me very much of a, like kind of an R.L. Stein almost mystery. Oh, fantastic. Um, it's a, it's a mystery told from two perspectives and you really don't know who's telling the truth. It's fabulous. I love it. All right. So I think it's time we talk about the thing that makes this movie enjoyable. And that would be our cast in his Review of the movie at the time of its release in 1988, Roger Ebert accurately predicted that this movie would someday be known for the movie stars it showcased back before they became stars. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And so we're going to start with Annabeth Gish as Cat. Before this, she was in Desert Bloom and Hiding Out. After this, she was in Wyatt Earp, The Last Supper, Nixon, Beautiful Girls, Steel, SLC Punk, Double Jeopardy, The West Wing, Sons of Anarchy, Halt and Catch Fire, and The Haunting of Hill House. 
What do we think of Annabeth Gish? I totally forgot Hill House. Yeah. Because that's such a different character than so many of the other things that she's done. I always forget who she is because she's kind of a chameleon. Yes. She, yeah, she can really disappear into her roles. That's mm-hmm. for that's for certain. And just, oh, uh, you know, I think that one of the things about her is that she's just that little bit off mm-hmm. from being the big screen luminary like mm-hmm. Julia Roberts became. Mm-hmm. Um, she just, whatever that, that elusive factor is that makes women into the superstars, she wasn't going to be there. But A, she's attractive enough. And B, she is such an excellent actress that she was able to kind of get those adjacent roles until she built herself into a powerhouse of its own. The one thing I will say about about her in this role too is that part of it is the role that she's given does not allow her to have many powerhouse moments. Yeah. The other two actresses here have a lot more time to chew scenery. They really do. Yes. And... This is partly on the writing and the directing of those scenes. One of the things that I have a problem with with her and Tim scenes are that those feel like we're in a weird lifetime romance movie. And the other scenes feel like we're in Mystic Pizza. (laughs) And I think that's I think it's it comes back to not having it at the pizza. Tim never comes into the pizza place. Nope. Until the no. very end. Until the very, very end. And that was part of the problem. If if Tim had come in and, and been at the pizza place, I think that might have like strengthened it. It's either that or Tim gets revealed to be a full-on creep. Like we finally have that turn. Because part of the problem yeah. too is that they hedge even until the very end with mm-hmm. him. Because like you said, we don't want to... They're afraid of making Kat into an unlikable character when at some point, if they had finally turned him fully and said, he's not a good guy and he shows himself to not be a good guy, Mm -hmm. then him not being at the pizza place makes a whole lot more sense because he's pulling her away from her anger. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it it, it just they feel like they're in an entirely different movie about half the time. And so she feels like pulled away from what's really good and interesting about that character. Because then you see her on the docks and she's drinking and you're like, wait, whoa, you, the good kid, is also having a beer? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And that's the thing. I think that um, one thing that this movie suffers from is from that ensemble effect of trying to have each of those three girls have their own own storyline, plus trying to do interlaced storylines for the girls Plus then adding that layer of Kat and Daisy as sisters and interacting with their mother. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. And I think in reality, had they just taken the sisterhood out of it, um, it, it, they would have had a better film there and would have had more space for some of that. So I think we could fix Tim a little bit if how we met him was in the pizza joint. Yes. (laughs) How, How does he get introduced to Kat? He comes there with his daughter. Cat's super sweet with the kid. Hey, do you babysit? This is how he picks up young girls. Right. Uh, and at the, <laughs> at the top, it wouldn't have felt like. Out of nowhere. Felt like he's being creepy. It would have just felt like, oh, look, he's met her. And his wife has gone to, to, to London and sure. he needs a sitter. And, you know, you do that as a parent. You're desperate and you go and ask totally. strangers. But that, 
then after the fact that would have been like oh fuck that's how he picks up his girls well and and yet another complication is the whole relationship with the kid which is so strong it's telegraph well no but it's telegraphed so much early on there's this really strong relationship yeah yeah and then it gets dropped because that's not the point and you're like no this was there's a whole bunch of extra stuff and a lot of it gets put on cat as a character which is why I feel like we're right in that she's just as good as an actress, but she's got way more that she has to do on screen. But see, that's why I think she has the hardest role. Yeah, yes. no, I agree. Because Daisy gets to be hot and slutty. That's fun. <laughs> that's, that's basically that's her shtick. And mouthy. And mouthy. And Joe gets to be neurotic as hell. And that is also Lily Taylor's bread and butter. And yeah. Yes, it is. Well, and and Joe also gets to be the one. Joe gets to be the one who speaks her truth. Yes. Yes. The thing is, at the end of the day, for for the actress, mm-hmm. it does make that job intensely harder. So it is quite awesome that she pulls it off pretty well. Yeah. There's a handful of moments where it doesn't work. And every time it doesn't work, it has nothing to do with her. And it has everything to do with the story and where, and the positions that they've put that character in. Yeah, I'd agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we have Julia Roberts as Daisy. We have never talked about her before on Who this, is this show. Julia Roberts? I've never heard of this person. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is considered her breakthrough role. For American mm-hmm. actress Julia Roberts. Before this, she was in Satisfaction. After this, <laughs> this is going to take a minute. She was in all the things. <laughs> <clears throat> Still Magnolias, Pretty Woman, Flatliners, Sleeping with the Enemy, Hook, The Player, The Pelican Brief, Ready to Wear, Something to Talk About, Mary Riley, Michael Collins, Everyone Says I Love You, My Best Friend's Wedding, Conspiracy Theory, Stepmom, Notting Hill, Runaway Bride, Aaron Brockovich, The Mexican, America's Sweetheart. That is the best fucking movie. <laughs> Ocean's Eleven, Full Frontal, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Mona Lisa Smile, Closer, Ocean's Twelve, Charlotte's Web, Charlie Wilson's War, Duplicity, Valentine's Day, Eat, Pray, Love, Larry Crown, Mirror, Mirror, August, Osage County, Mother's Day, Money Monster, Wonder, and Homecoming, the television series. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood eats young starlets mm-hmm. like her. You know, Absolutely. they eat they eat them alive, they destroy them, they break them, they they cast them aside. And I think Julia decided at some point, um, and I don't know whether this was something that she just had knowledge of, mm-hmm. whether she was given advice, but she decided at some point to create in her own mind a character that is Julia Roberts, the actor. Mm-hmm. And she plays that character when she's doing press and when she's, you know, walking the red carpet and when she's doing whatever. And it's it's divorced from her personally in a way which allows her to maintain mental health, but then also do things like in Ocean's 12, just that mm-hmm. nod to the character of Julia Roberts that she has created that it's just, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. I think following up Pretty Woman with Flatliners is also a very strong acting choice to go, sure. you know, I'm not pegging this role forever. Yeah. No, she's, <laughs> she has done a lot of different things, but I think, you know, just as an actress, I think she's just having fun. She certainly is in this movie. I was going to say, definitely, um, I think that 
she definitely is an actress who embraces roles with gusto and the the pool scene in Mystic Pizza is one of those moments yes. where it's just, I'm a towny girl who's awkward and knobby kneed and elbowed, but I'm going to try and pretend that I'm the sexy pool shark. And she somehow manages to be both. She manages yes. to be sexy in that scene, but also still be all awkward knees and elbows. Yep. And um, it's brilliant. It's it's really lovely and fun to see an actress use their craft that that confidently mm-hmm. and especially for an early film. Mm-hmm. Well, what's attractive about her in that scene is not that she's Julia Roberts. It's that she will take no shit from anybody at that table, especially <laughs> when somebody's blocking her way and she just looks like, excuse me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best part of that whole scene. Yes, I totally love it because she doesn't raise her voice. She doesn't, you know, show any discomfort, any demonstration of, you know, I'm having to make myself big to push this person down. She's just like, yeah, you're in my way. Mm-hmm. Can, can, <laughs> it's you, just, can you not? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Julia Roberts originally auditioned for the part of Jojo. Yeah. And on an interview with David Letterman, she explained that after her audition, she was told that she was good physically, but completely wrong for the part. So she then colored her hair black, which was normally a dark blonde for the follow-up audition, and she got the part. Um, She also says that while she was in the waiting room for her audition, all of the other actresses uh, were like super reading their script. And she decided to listen to her Walkman and sing really loudly. (laughs) to throw them off and to stand out to the casting director. It's such a daisy move. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. She's she did that thing where she showed up as the character. Yep. That is amazing. That's the total um It's a gamble. It's a gamble. I have one who could have been better. Uh Uh-oh. Gloria Estefan turned down the role of Daisy because she felt she was not yet ready as an actress to take on the part. Whoa, whoa. Oh, my, my husband will die over that one. <laughs> my husband, Gloria <laughs> Stepan, is his like, you know, if you die, babe, that's that's who I'm marrying. That's it. <laughs> yep. I would love to see it. <laughs> I want to see Gloria Stefan. I do. I'm not trading Julia Roberts, but I want to see Gloria Stefan in a role like this. Don't you sometimes want to be able to like have headcanon movies, have them refilm? Oh, we do that all the time. That's part of how we sometimes fix movies. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Like this movie is perfect, except for this one person. Saw. (laughs) (sighs) Saw. Saw. Just get rid of Carrie Elways and Saw works. And I love Carrie Elways. I do too. But he ruined that movie. He ruined. He's the only person who didn't know what film he was in. (laughs) I, I, I choose Julia Roberts. Yes. I mean, I do. Yes. But I want Gloria Stefan too. Can I have both, please? Gloria right? Stefan could have been a townie. She <laughs> should be a townie. All right. Next, we have Lily Taylor as JoJo. Before this, she was in She's Having a Baby. After this, she was in Say Anything, Born on the Fourth of July, Shortcuts, Rudy, Ready to Wear, Four Rooms. I shot Andy Warhol, Ransom, Pecker, The Haunting, High Fidelity, Casa de los Babies, Factotum, Six Feet Under, The Notorious Betty Page, The Secret. Brooklyn's Finest, Public Enemies, The Conjuring, and most recently, The Nun. Wow. (laughs) So I adore Lily Taylor. And I think that this film is actually where she in many ways became Lily Taylor. Because she really played 
kind of the full range of the mania that became her her signature shtick. And one of the things that Lily Taylor does better than I think probably any actress out there right now is she can at once be entirely neurotic, entirely off her nut, and yet still intensely human and relatable. Mm-hmm. And that is a skill because generally when people are acting crazy, we have a tendency to want to take a step back from them. Um, you know, she can be neurotic without reading as crazy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she can act highly erratic and very big physically and vocally mm-hmm. and still not slide into that mm-hmm. slurring territory. Um, so yeah, no, she's, she's a master. Anytime I see her name on something, I'm like, Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. All right. Next, next we have, um, there's some, some dude, uh, uh yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio. He plays yeah. this guy, Bill. Hold on. Vincent Philip D'Onofrio. Yes. There he is. Go. He is billed as Vincent <laughs> Philip D'Onofrio in this, this film. So weird. Oh my gosh. And this role, this, this is like the opposite of Lily Taylor. Like you see Lily Taylor in this movie and you can envision the rest of her career mm-hmm. you see Vincent D'Onofrio in this and you're like who's that dude and this is right after Full Metal Jacket and Adventures in Babysitting right and there just seems to be no connection I mean he has had the most varied career and it's just maybe it's because they were they were playing him like the Catholic good boy sure you know, maybe that's it because so often in his other roles, there's that kind of edge of, you know, what's mm-hmm. he gonna do? You know, we we can't figure him out. He's unpredictable, he's oh, yeah. he's intense, he's charismatic, he's mm-hmm. sexual. And in this, he's such a Catholic good boy, and he's like completely at Jojo's, like he's defenseless against Jojo. He's kind of big and dumb and heartbroken, and it's kind of precious because he's just kind of like. I just, I just love you. That's all. (laughs) He is the epitome of himbo in this movie. He really is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Fantastic. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that he's also like a giant, Mm -hmm. especially next to Lily Taylor. Super little Lily Taylor. Well, and I think maybe that that for him, that might have been an attraction in the role Mm -hmm. because he's such a big guy and leading men in Hollywood are rarely big guys yep. and just to get to play the himbo might've been refreshing for, for an actor who might've just been getting scripts of being the heavy, being the bad guy, being the mobster, being the, you know, Be- being private Gomer pile. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after full metal jacket, I'm sure getting to the, Ooh. I just have to stand there and be sweet. Okay. Yeah, exactly. After, after dealing with that monster, okay. we won't speak his name. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I love the fact, too, that he's just like, no, I want to get married. I love you. And I do love, too, with that, I want to get married. He has that sweetness of like, it's not that I'm like ashamed of you. It's that I don't want to keep doing this when I really want to be with you. Like, yeah, there's the Catholic guilt of it all. But it's Mm -hmm. also just the element of like, I'm sick of playing games about this. Yeah. Marry me or don't, but I'm done. (laughs) Don't you get it, Joe? I'm telling you that I love you. And all you love is my dick. Do you know how that makes me feel? Do you? I... I'm sorry. 
Come on, let's go. I'm finished, Joe. I can't do this anymore. Let's go! It's the shit or get off the pot thing. It's like, we, we gotta either be together or we can't be together. But the fact that a movie in 1988 was willing to say, he's gonna be the one that he's- says that. I and like it's it. not gonna feel wrong. Can you name one since where the guy's been the one who's who's been all in on marriage and the girl's been hesitant in the same you know wholesome way? I can't. I can. I can name where it's been played for laughs. Yeah, oh, it's usually played for laughs. But just just any you know, I can't think of any guy just being that flat out. I love you. I want to be with you. You know, it's 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 done. There's no question. And, and they didn't even play it as a um, sexual frustration angle. You know, it wasn't it wasn't played like I'm only going to marry you because I'm sexually frustrated, which is a lot of Catholic wait till they're married thing gets played that way, too. And they didn't. They just played him as genuinely. I've made up my mind. I'm all in on you. Why are you not all in on, me? on me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was very refreshing and lovely. I mean, Aiden Shaw was kind of that way with Carrie on Sex in the City, but there were other contributing factors, but still. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. still, it was there. Vincent Phillip can do literally anything, and this is a movie that proves that. Yeah, like That's a very good point. We've seen him do all sorts of characters, but it's just like, he's. there's been movies where he plays either like a dad or older brother type role. I remember um, mm-hmm. oh, The Breakup, which is not the greatest movie in the world, but him in that movie, fantastic. Because mm-hmm. he's just a dude. And it and it's a testament to like, he can just be a regular guy if that's what the role calls for. Mm-hmm. He just also has this capability to dive into characters. We love you, Vincent Phillip. So now we get into some Arpons. <laughs> random, random people of note. We have William R. Moses, who played Tim. Um, before this film, he was like on the entire run of The Love Boat and Falcon Crest. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, along with Vincent Phillip, he was probably the most famous person in this movie when this movie came out. <laughs> wow. Wow. I knew, Weird, right? I, I, knew, I knew I recognized him, and I kept thinking, I know this guy. Was he in General Hospital? <laughs> Because he has that kind of soap sure. actor look. Yeah. <laughs> it's the love boat. That's what And it's the love boat. Yeah. And then also Falcon Crest, which is kind of a big deal to some people. Um, and then we have Adam Stort as Charlie. He he didn't have a ton before this, but after this, he was in Highway to Hell and Death Becomes Her and the Stand miniseries, which were kind of big deals. So yeah. it's like him. He was recently on Westworld in one episode. I see his credit as sophisticated man. Sophisticated man, <laughs> yes. Which I found hilarious. We also have Conchata Farrell as Leona, the owner of Mystic Pizza. You recognize her from Edward Scissorhands and Two and a Half Men. Yeah, and she was one of those powerhouse, you know, second string players in Hollywood that they always brought her in for those roles mm-hmm. where they needed warmth. Yeah. Or they needed something genuine Sassy. and it just absolute guarantee that she's going to do that. And so um, she's a powerhouse and she's a big part of the reason that I would have loved to see more in the pizza parlor. She's what makes the pizza place a home yes. yeah, and gives it that heart without someone like her. You don't care. You're just like, oh, whatever. And then the whole mystic pizza thing, like who gives a crap is just 
these three random girls who happen to work together. Oh, two of them are related. Who cares? Yeah. Without her in this role, it it really does fall apart. God keeps coming back to Empire Records for me. It's the same goddamn thing. (laughs) Why didn't we do more? It's a really good uh, model for a well-constructed workplace film. Damn the man, save the Empire. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We've got film debut of Matt Damon. (laughs) He is in the dinner scene at Charlie's family's house. Is he? Oh my god, I That's, totally missed that. He's the little that. brother. He's the little he's brother. He's the little brother. <gasps> that is Matt Damon. His best friend and future collaborator, Ben Affleck, also auditioned for this. <laughs> Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mom, do you want my green stuff? <laughs> John Cunningham, who plays Charlie's father, mm-hmm. would later go on to play Matt Damon's father in School Ties. <laughs> Oh, how funny. And now we get on to trivia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. With the exception of, of a few exterior shots of downtown Mystic, most of the film was shot in nearby Connecticut and Rhode Island. The Mystic Pizza restaurant in Mystic was not where the movie was filmed. Only one scene in the movie was actually filmed in the Mystic Village, which is the scene where the fishing boat was going through the drawbridge. Uh. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mystic is a popular tourist destination and would have been too crowded for filming the movie. So it was done nearby in Stonington, Connecticut. Um, and they <laughs> use the business on Water Street for all of all of uh, the displays and whatnot. Interesting. In 1973, uh, the Zaleppos opened the Mystic Pizza restaurant with a secret recipe that led them to their success. And the walls of the real Mystic Pizza are covered in photographs which have been taken during production, although it doesn't look anything like the one in the movie. But it became so popular, it could barely keep up with the pizza demand, and people would line the streets to get a spot, and menus and matches disappeared all the time. And <laughs> not too long ago, a line of frozen pizzas was developed that matches the Mystic Pizza recipe, and they were only available in the States. Wow. Apparently, the Zaleppo family sold the rights to their name, the Mystic Pizza, for a really small amount, thinking that it was a small movie that wouldn't do very well. Because they did well, they didn't have many stars to go with it. Yeah, the movie did so well that the family actually opened another location in Stonington where they actually filmed, and they called it Mystic Pizza Two, hoping to cash in on the sequel. Yeah, no, like they. <laughs> That's the funny part is you eventually you're like, we have to franchise because we have to now. Yeah, it's just it's a requirement based (laughs) on the popularity of this movie. Yeah, the film really didn't do that well. It had a budget of six million dollars, but it only grossed about 13 million. So it really didn't take off and it hasn't had like this huge life afterwards. It's just that film that all these people were in before they were famous. It, it's it's had a much bigger life on home video for sure. Yeah. Because then everybody knew who the actors were and were like, okay, we have to watch this now. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's funny to me. I think that that's one of the problems that streaming has made it really hard to judge film success. Mm-hmm. And it, it, of course, right now with pandemic, um, the, the pundits are saying, oh, well, the In the Heights was disappointing. And it's like, what disappointing? It's the biggest opening 
all year. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that it's not in relation to what happened before. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it, it's weird. But as a production, if I was like being the producer for a film, I wouldn't count on just box office returns as to whether it's a success. How is its international sales? How did distribution go? Mm-hmm. What are streaming, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, when when we look at these, it's it, it's really more applicable, especially if you talk about a blockbuster. Because then mm-hmm. you look at something with a giant budget and it tanks and you go, okay, this sure. did not do great. Um, yeah. This is a small movie. Like, I know it's mm-hmm. got a six million budget. It's not It's not cheaply made, but it is a much smaller production. And so I imagine that part of it too was I don't I it probably didn't show in that many theaters at the time like it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be in every movie theater out there in 1988 because yeah. it just wasn't that kind of a movie. Yeah, it's it's just like I said, it's so interesting where we pull these ideas of what mm-hmm. success is and what isn't, you know, and especially for a movie like this that gives so many people a jumpstart to really amazing careers, amazing careers. Well, and then also like, I understand there's the financial impact for sure. And it's like, okay, the studio made their money back. They did not, this was not a loss for them. Yep. And they, they doubled, they made their money back and then they made the same. So they doubled their money. It cost 6 million. They made 13 million. So they doubled their money. If every project did that as the basis, like it cost us a hundred bucks, we made 200 bucks this would be a slam dunk. This is a slam dunk win. Cool. We would accept that hand out of fist for our podcast, wouldn't we? I was just about to say that. Podcast world. For it, sure. Uh, we, none of us would be complaining. We would be like, hells yes. <laughs> like, like, please, like we get 200 downloads. It's like fucking Christmas. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I think that leads us. It's time to do our ratings. Wow. All right. Yeah. It's time to do our ratings. And I think we, every time we do this, we come up with a very specific rating system. But I, I think it's very obvious that we have to do pizza slices. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's it's sliced, but I'm going to have to break my slices because this movie has, well, definitely two, possibly three, as I think about it, tiers that deserve slices that are independent of each mm-hmm. other. Totally fair. You got you got a, You got a stack. You got a tower. You got a pizza tower. Okay, cool. I'm I'm here for this. Hair and clothing and setting. Um, as far as the way the art direction was done and the set dressing, um, it really did give me that Connecticut seashore town. Uh the the 80s hair and the 80s fashion from the god-awful, like puke awful bridesmaids dresses oh, in the God. two different weddings <laughs> i do appreciate they wore the same dresses twice that's economical i appreciate this i i, I do that um portuguese dad did not pay five thousand dollars for the first again, wedding yeah. to have you ruin it the second time around <laughs> we're having this one in the pizza place this time uh-huh <laughs> and 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 the absolutely flawless big 80s hair on not just the women characters but also the men characters right. charlie's hair was did you see the feathering? Yes. On both Charlie's and Tim's hair? He they had feathered these. hair. It was genius. So five slices on, on art. For hair and makeup. Hair and makeup. And yeah, wardrobe, absolutely. Yes. And, and that's like, you know, like the Oscars that gets in its own little ceremony and that's sure. pulled out and um, done there. And, and then for the movie overall, I was surprised at myself. I thought before going in, that I was going to say, yeah, that's a three slice movie. Now I I'd give it four and a half slices actually. Okay. I 
rewatching it, I enjoyed it. It wasn't just, oh, I'm watching this so that I can talk about it tonight. It was that, no, this is, this is an all right movie. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I wasted those two hours. So yeah, four and a half slices. That's, 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 you know, I'm being generous. I know. <laughs> no, that's okay. Hey. Your rating is your rating. You go with what is in your heart. For me, first of all, we've talked, we've talked enough about it that it's talked me into giving it a higher rating. Because I think if <laughs> same, same. I think walking away from it, I felt really ambivalent. Mm-hmm. It's not that I didn't like it, but there were there was a lot of it that I went, okay, well, that was a movie, I guess. But as we talked about it, and there is a whole lot of craft, I think that's where there are certain sections and parts of the movie and that we talk about, and especially Cat and Tim, where it just feels like a drags. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But the amount of depth and attention at first it feels like okay why are we telling such a very simple story like mm-hmm. I-, I get the point but once you start to understand that that's because we're going to kind of dig into every detail here and to see how this movie informs a lot of movies that i really really love empire records yes <laughs> but to see how this was definitely a template for that and they were really establishing you know that specificity and really paying attention to the story points i'm going to give it three and a half slices I really do think it's a good movie. I think it will reward additional viewings later on. Like if I sit down and watch this again with that in mind, I think I'm going to find a whole lot more out of it. I'm the same with David. When I came away from it, I was like, okay. I was like, all right, it's a movie. It wasn't horrible. I've paid way more for way worse movies. So (laughs) I feel good about this. It's streaming streaming on netflix so i'm good <laughs> yeah yeah cuba Gotting jr's boat trip worst movie ever made <laughs> so I oh, still no, nope 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 hey oh. slap shot we paid for slap shot i'm pretty sure yeah we Oof. did i think we did and oh, i was yeah. so mad i had to watch a different movie we did but this film especially with our conversation about it and especially like really talking about how female empowering it really is especially for the 80s has made me appreciated that much more i mean i knew it was there but i really wasn't thinking about it when the film was over that i'm gonna give it a three and a half that's where i'm at i really i appreciate that much more i love our cast love the costume hair i really do love the story i want them to do it better and i want the pizza place to be the most important a location so yeah just in like tweaks and like let diana fix it and then it'll be back and it will be then it will be a perfect five slice film across the board. I love it. Well, that's our show. Eddie, if people want more Eddie, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Eddie Louise, and my website is www.eddielouise.com. And I am currently in development for a secret hush-hush audio drama project that is going to blow everyone out of the water. All I can say, I don't know if I can even say this, um, it takes place on a very, very elegant cruise ship. um, And there's going to be a lot of hot people on that cruise ship. And I think that's about all I can say. So uh, anyone out there who is a audio drama creator or a writer who wants to throw their name in the hat as potentially being involved in this, 
um, we're going to run a writer's room where we bring in different writers for different episodes and pull things together. So, and that'll be coming up. Uh, production's going to begin on that probably September-ish. Otherwise, I am also helping produce the Boston Metaphysical Society audio drama, which is in recording now and will be released at the beginning of next year. So I'm a busy lady, but I'm always on Twitter. You can always find me there. Very, very cool. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The podcast where we make each other watch movies. We should have the podcast for... (laughs) (laughs) This has never happened. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god. Jesus. <laughs> <sighs>